I'll invite you to turn to three openings of Scripture. Zechariah chapter 10, James chapter 5, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 10, James 5, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're talking about spiritual gifts, what are commonly called uh, as spiritual gifts or manifestations of the Spirit more specifically as the Bible identifies them. And here's the context. Here's the reason why we're teaching along those lines. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, rain is always used in the scriptures as a type of the Holy Ghost. So he's saying, ask for a move of God. Ask for a move of the Holy Ghost. Ask for the Holy Ghost to move in the time of the latter rain. Does anybody have any doubt that we're in the last days? Paul said 2,000 years ago that, they, that he was in the last days. Well, we're 2,000 years further into the last days, therefore. So there's no question that this is, uh, that we meet the qualifications for asking for a move of the Holy Ghost. Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. What's God going to do? He said, so the Lord shall make bright clouds. The margin of my Bible, yours may say the same, says lightnings. Lightnings. So the Lord shall make bright clouds or lightnings. And give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. Now, what's this grass in the field he's talking about? And the showers of rain would be an outpouring or a move of the Holy Ghost. But for what purpose? He's talking about flashes. That has to mean, uh, well, either bright clouds or, or lightnings. Whichever way you want to look at it. It doesn't matter to me. Bright clouds certainly would refer to the glory of God in the manner in which he appeared in the Old Testament in the cloud. Lightnings would be a manifestation of his power. So whichever way you want to look at it, it means the, the glory, the power, and the presence of God. So he said, ask for a move of the Holy Ghost in the last days, and God will manifest his power and his presence. And give them showers of rain. He'll pour himself out. He'll pour his spirit out upon his people. But for what purpose? To give them, to, to bring every man grass in the field. Now, what's this grass in the field he's talking about? James 5, 7 tells us that. James 5, 7, James says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said, be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Thank God he's coming. But we have to be patient until he gets here, right? But what does that mean? What are we supposed to do? Just twiddle our thumbs? Just sit back and hold out till the end, hope for the best? No, he said, be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth. Well, we know he's waiting because he hadn't gotten here yet. Behold, the husbandman waiteth. Well, what's he waiting for? For the precious fruit of the earth. Now, what's the precious fruit of the earth? Same thing Zechariah 10.1 said was grass in the field. The only thing God's ever cared about is people. The precious fruit of the earth and the grass in the field, Zechariah 10.1, is talking about people. He's talking about a manifestation of God's power and his presence to bring people into the kingdom of God. Behold, the husband waiteth and has, uh, for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it. Well, what's going to bring that about until he received the early and the latter rain? So we've got both an Old Testament and a New Testament reference that tells us the only thing that's going to bring about this precious fruit of the earth, this harvest of people into the kingdom of God that Jesus is waiting for before he comes back for the church, it would stand to reason that Jesus would want to get as many people in as he could. Well, what's going to bring those people in? A move of the Holy Ghost, a manifestation of God's power and his presence. Now, for that reason, we're teaching on manifestations of the Spirit of God. Because if we're in the last days when God wants to manifest himself, when he's directing us to pray for the Spirit of God to move, then we need to know how is he going to move when he does. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writing to the church about things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost tells us about how the Holy Ghost will manifest himself, how these bright clouds or lightnings will take place. What do they look like? Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. This word manifestation means shining forth or appearance. The shining forth or appearance of the Holy Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Notice God's not picking and choosing certain ones that he uses. He wants to use everybody. Now, that may not be the church's idea, but that's God's idea. The church may not understand that, which is, in my opinion, the very reason Paul was inspired to write these things. Because so much of the church fails to recognize what God wants to do, what God's plan is. And if you don't know what God's plan is, you don't know how to cooperate. So as a result, the church goes on its merry way and tries to create programs, tries to create its own, come up with its own ideas or its own plans and its own purposes so that they can get people saved. Well, that's fine. I'm glad people want to work hard for the Lord. But I'd rather work in the power of God. If for no other reason than the power of God's more effective than man's plans and programs. Now, if man's plans and programs were going to get the job done, don't you think it'd be done by now? We've had a long time to work on it. But that's not what brings about the precious fruit of the earth. It's the last day move of the Spirit of God. So he said, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith, or as the Amplified says, special faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healings. Both gifts and healings are in the plural in the original Greek. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse or different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but all these worketh. I'm glad they all still work. But all these worketh that one and selfsame spirit dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now, I believe we're safe in saying that anything that the Holy Ghost will do in the earth is described in one of these nine manifestations. Otherwise, the Holy Ghost is giving us only partial information telling us that it's it's a complete picture. Paul starts off in verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. The word spirituals there is, uh, the word gifts is in italics. Spirituals means things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So if he only gave us a partial list, then how is it that we're not going to continue to be ignorant about the things concerning the Holy Ghost? It has to be a complete list. So everything that the Holy Ghost will do in these last days or in the earth is described in this list of nine manifestations of the Spirit. Therefore, each one of these nine things has to be a supernatural work. You can't say, for example, as some people do, well, you know, they needed gifts of healings back in the early days, but now we have medical doctors. So gifts of healings is is medical science nowadays. Well, how's that going to get people saved? How's that going to bring about the precious fruit of the earth? Now, folks, every one of these is, is supernatural. Some people have said, well, they needed uh, diverse kinds of tongues in the early days of the church because they weren't educated to, t- to speak other languages. Well, Paul spoke three. He's got me beat by two and a half. 
And so they say, yeah, well, see, we learned that we can teach languages in universities now, so we don't need that. It's, that's what God has replaced that with. Folks, that's just ignorance gone to seed. These are supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Supernatural works of the Holy Spirit designed by God to bring people into the kingdom of God. Now, that's the thing I want to impress upon you this morning. They're designed by God for the purpose of bringing people into the kingdom of God. Jesus said in, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, after, uh, he, when he was talking to those disciples who were already born again, he said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses. Power to be witnesses. Power to be witnesses. The Holy Ghost coming upon you. In other words, being filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Those are interchangeable terms. Is to bring power to be witnesses. He tells them where? Both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Well, we haven't gone to the uttermost part of the earth yet, have we? There's too many people that haven't yet heard about Jesus. There's too, people, too many people in this earth that have not heard about Jesus with power. I'm not talking about preaching a sermon, folks. I'm talking about demonstration of the Spirit and power. That was Paul's uh, pattern. Paul said, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or oratory skills or anything like that. Man's wisdom operating. He said, I came in demonstration of the Spirit and power. That's why he got results. That may be why the church is not getting results. It's going to take demonstration of the spirit and power. At least that's what James said and Zechariah. That's what's going to bring about the precious fruit of the earth. That's the purpose of the grass in the field. Power brings people into the kingdom of God. Now, folks, God hadn't lost any power. Over time, none has drained out. There's no break in the line. God's just as powerful now as he ever has been. And he's just as willing to display his power as he ever has been. But we've got to get the church in cooperation with him. Amen? Now, we've talked a little bit about these manifestations of the Spirit. And this list of nine can be divided up in a number of ways. One of the the main ways that we divide them is we group them in in, uh, threes. Three of these nine manifestations say something. They're vocal gifts. Prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. They're vocal gifts. They're supernatural utterance given by the Holy Ghost in either a known or an unknown language. Now, when I say known or unknown language, I mean known or unknown to to the speaker, not necessarily to the hearer. Three of these reveal something. The word of wisdom the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. They reveal something. They show something. Anything and everything that God will will or can reveal is either going to be a word of wisdom, which shows the future, future events, word of knowledge, which shows past or present tense events, or discerning of spirits, which reveals and uh, unveils the spirit realm. And then three of these do something. They're power gifts, working of miracles, Gifts of healings and faith, or as the Amplified says, special faith. Now, this morning I want to talk to you about special faith for just a few minutes. And, um, um, well, I just believe that that's the way the Lord would have us to go. 
Let me talk to you about faith for a minute. Faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? Faith means you believe in something you can't see. Simplest terms. You believe something you can't see. Now, there are different kinds of faith that the Bible talks about. There is a faith that is not specified in Scripture, but is uh, intimated that we'll call, or I'll call, others have done so before me, uh, general faith. Jesus operated on kind of a general faith when he was here on the earth. General faith is, is, uh, has no supernatural ability to it. It's the, it's the uh, operation of believing something that you see. For example, when Jesus was here on the earth, um, he asked certain people before he ministered healing to them, he said, do you believe I can do this? Well, they had to believe in something that he could do in order for him to be able to do it. Now, we know that unbelief, the opposite of faith, unbelief hindered Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. Mark chapter 6 and verse 5 says, and he could there do no mighty work, save or except he laid his hands on a few sickly folks, a few folks with minor ailments, and got them healed. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, what was it that they were supposed to believe? When Jesus was here on the earth, all they had to believe was that he could do the things that, he, that were reported of him, that he could heal. That's all they had to believe. That wasn't saving faith. They didn't have to believe that he was the Christ. They didn't have to believe that he was raised from the dead because he wasn't. They didn't have to believe any of those things. The only thing that they were required to believe is that which they had heard about him and his works. Now, in the same sense, it's different nowadays because Jesus is not here on the earth and he's already been to the cross. But there's still the same general faith that's required of people before they get saved. And that is, someone has to have general faith that there is a God. See, a lot of times people are saying, well, if you could just prove to me there's a God, then I'd believe. Well, if they don't believe anything about God himself, it's impossible to prove. Hebrews 11.6 says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. See, if somebody takes the position that I don't believe that there is a God, then there's nothing in the world that can be done for them to be saved. You can tell them about Jesus all the rest of their life, but if they're serious, when they say, I don't believe there is a God, they'll spend eternity in hell, even though Jesus paid the price for them, even though Jesus died for their sins. So there's a general faith that is required of every person. That general faith is identified or can be identified or can be strengthened by looking at the world. Paul said you can see the Godhead by looking at the creation. What does he mean? He means you can very easily see that there's a design to the creation of this earth. Well, it's it's impossible to have a design without a designer. You can't have that. And so any person is able by choice but any person is able to look at the design of this creation and recognize that there is a designer behind it and therefore meet the qualifications of general faith that i may not know who god is or what's behind this but there is a god and that's all that's necessary for them to be able to come to god now from that point they need saving faith once the the hurdle or the the barrier of general faith is crossed Then it takes saving faith. What is saving faith? Saving faith is believing 
according to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Paul said by the Holy Ghost that if any person believed that God sent Jesus to the earth, that he died on the cross and was raised again from the dead for our sins, then that was the requirement for faith. The action of that faith is to confess Jesus as Lord. That saving faith brings anyone and everyone into the kingdom of God. That's the only way you can get saved. You have to hear of Jesus and believe something about his work on the cross and being raised from the dead. Well, then the Bible talks about another kind of faith. The Bible talks about what we'll call growing faith or maturing faith. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he commended them for two things. He said, uh, I thank my God upon my remembrance of you because your love abounds, number one, and your faith grows exceedingly. Well, these were people that were already saved, aren't they? So that means that after we're saved, our faith can grow. How does that occur? Through the knowledge of the word. Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's true on every level. So after we're born again, the more we learn of the word, the more knowledge of the word we gain, then the, and the more we act on that knowledge, then the more our faith will grow and spiritual development occurs. But then there's a, uh, a final type of faith that this is talking about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that comes only by the manifestation of the Holy Ghost. It's a supernatural, it's a special faith. It's a Holy Ghost-given faith. Now, what is that? Well, there's a lot of examples we could take and use in the Bible, but I think, um, I think it might be good for us to make a comparison before we go into detail. One of the... Um, uh, of their power gifts is called working of miracles. Now, working of miracles and gift of faith or special faith, if you'll allow me to use that term, the working of miracles and special faith are very similar in their results. They both result in miracles. The only difference is working of miracles takes action for it to come to pass. The gift of faith or special faith just receives the miracle. For example, the Old Testament is, uh, is full of examples where working of miracles took place. All of the plagues that, uh, that uh, God brought upon Egypt through the hand of Moses, that's working of miracles. In each and every one of them, Moses did something. He either struck the ground with his rod or stretched out his hand toward heaven or something like that. There was action on his part that caused the miracle to take place. Another example of uh, working of miracles was Samson. Man, what a guy he was. The Bible says it gave him supernatural strength. Nobody knew what the source of his strength was, so it wasn't his workout program. He wasn't some bodybuilder-looking guy because everybody would have known, well, he's strong because look at his muscles. He was an average-looking guy, and everybody was amazed at the things that he could do. The Bible says one day he ripped off the gates of the city and walked off with them. I don't know how you do that. I mean, even if you were strong enough, how do you do that? He did some tremendous things. Well, one of the, the aspects of working of miracles in Samson's life was when he was attacked with a lion. He grabbed that lion by the jaws and just split it apart and, and killed it instantly. Well, there was another operation in the Old Testament about lions that had to do with lions and fer the ferocious animals and beasts that they were. But it wasn't the working of miracles. It was a gift of faith. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. He slept like a baby. 
Now, in both cases, someone was delivered from a ferocious animal. In one case, Samson's case, he did something by the Holy Ghost with the strength of the Holy Ghost to work a miracle. A man can't defeat a lion like, like, at least not the way Samson did. You don't pull it apart like a chicken, you know. He just ripped this thing apart. Well, you can't do that. That has to be a supernatural work. Daniel, on the other hand, didn't do anything. He just told the king, I'll see you in the morning. So he, both of them received or both of them resulted in a miracle. One worked a miracle, the other received a miracle. Now, the thing about the gift of faith, and, and faith works the same way on every level. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. You can't have faith for something without knowing God's will. So turn back with me to, to the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17. Let me show you a couple of examples of, the, of special faith. And then we'll see where the Holy Ghost wants us to go with this. 1 Kings chapter 17 tells us the story of Elijah. Beginning in verse 1, here's Elijah coming on the scene. First thing we know about Elijah is chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab the king, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Three and a half years later it rains, when he says so. Well, that was a miracle, wasn't it? I mean, you go three and a half years without rain, something's at work. So the first thing we see in operation with Elijah is the gift of faith. He says something, but, but nobody goes around controlling the weather just by a whim. He has to know what God's plan and purpose is. He has to be inspired by the Spirit of God to say this. He has to have some kind of knowledge or revelation from God himself to know what to say. The prophets didn't speak on their own. They spoke by the word of the Lord. And here he does so in verse 1. Well, that creates a real problem for everybody, as you could well understand. A drought immediately occurs. And so the Lord speaks to Elijah in verse 2. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Sherith that is by the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. That's got to be the gift of faith in operation. Folks, I don't know if you know this or not, but ravens eat whatever they get. They don't deliver food. Not only that, but interestingly enough, a raven would be considered an unclean bird. So anything that the raven touched, according to the law of Moses, would be unclean. But it was the word of the Lord. Now, after a period of time, it says the brook dries up. And so what does Elijah do? Well, the word of the Lord comes unto him again, saying... Verse 8, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. I, if, if Elijah is like most people, he'd be thinking widow woman. That means rich widow. 
No more branch water. No more raven food. This is going to be good. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as he was going, as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in your hand. And she says, she gives him her daily plan. As the Lord God, thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks. Here's her daily plan. That I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat and die. Now, folks, you know, you always want to die on a full stomach. She's gathering two sticks to make a cake. To make some little meal thing. A little piece of cornbread. How big a fire can you make with two sticks? I want you to understand she's got nothing left. Well, what does Elijah do? Does he say, you know, you must not be the woman I thought you were. Are there any other rich women around here? No, Elijah said unto her, fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she did. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And then she and he and her house did eat many days. Now, we don't know how long that is, but we have to assume that it's at least over a year, maybe two. Now, what took place here? What took place is Elijah is speaking his faith based on knowledge that he has. And, folks, that's what faith always does. Faith says or speaks according to what it knows. Well, I know the Bible says by the stripes of Jesus I was healed, so I say with my mouth. I'm healed. I know that the Bible says that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with the stripes, I'm healed. So I say that I'm healed regardless of what my body is going on in my body. I know that the Bible says the chastisement of my peace was upon Jesus. Jesus was made poor for my sake that, that I, through his poverty, might be rich. So I say all of my needs are met according to his riches and glory. Faith is always based on knowledge. People have this, uh, this saying, this thing called blind faith. I don't know what blind faith is. Because Bible faith is always based on knowledge. In other words, it's never blind. Bible faith is never blind. It has inf inside information. It has knowledge that may not be seen. It can't yet be seen. But it's not blind. Just because something can't be seen with the natural eye doesn't mean it's not there. We can't see gravity, but we know it holds us here to the earth. Not everything that's real can be seen. Amen? So I don't know what this blind faith is that some people talk about. Faith is always based on knowledge. Always. That means special faith has to be based on knowledge too then. Special faith has to be based on knowledge. Now we may not always see the knowledge that that faith is based on. 
Turn back with me to Joshua chapter 10. When Joshua became the leader of the children of Israel, he went in to conquer the promised land. It tells us uh, the first uh, nine chapters of Joshua tell us about different things and how they got to the place of defeating all their enemies and so forth. Uh, One town, the town of Gibeon, deceived Joshua only because he didn't pray and ask God about it. And even though uh, Joshua had been commanded by the Lord to destroy them and everybody that was in there and take the promised land, he made a treaty with them because they tricked him. And then there were other enemies of Israel that heard about this treaty and they came out against Gibeon. And so now the the city of Gibeon is being attacked by ten different enemy kings. All for Israel's sake. And so they send word to Joshua and say, hey, we've got a treaty with you. We need your help. So the Lord speaks to Joshua. Verse 8, Joshua chapter 10 and verse 8. And the Lord said unto Joshua, fear them not. For I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came up unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal. That was where they were camped all night. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. And chased them along the way that goes up to some place and smote them to another place and unto another place. No point in me trying to pronounce these things because I'd butcher them. Verse 11, and it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah and they died and they were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. You look at some of the stuff God did in the Old Testament, the power they showed in the Old Testament and it's mind boggling. I mean, stuff that we'd look at and say, well, you can't do that. That, that can't be done. Hailstones, the size of bowling balls to kill the enemies of Israel. Well, let me ask you a question. What's changed? God hadn't. Our understanding of God's willingness to get involved to, de- to deliver his people may have changed. But God certainly hadn't changed. I'm looking, I've never seen anything yet that God was involved in that he didn't save the best till last. You can't find any example in scripture, any example in scripture where God did something in an early stage and a latter stage that the latter wasn't the best. Just can't do it. If God hadn't changed in that regard, then the move of the Holy Ghost for the last days to bring in the precious fruit of the earth It's got to be greater than anything we've seen happen yet or anything we read about happening yet. I'm looking for some real big things to happen. Now, whether or not they happen in our lifetime just depends on where we are in God's time frame. But I've got kind of a working relationship with the Lord. And it's real simple. He gives me things to teach and to speak and to say to people because they need them. In other words, it wouldn't be any point in me saying this for, the, for our grandchildren. If the time frame for these things to happen 
is for two or three generations down the road, then why is he prompting us to say these things now? I believe it's our lifetime. So, verse 12, then spake Joshua, after this great battle, this great victory is being won, verse 12, then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he, Joshua, said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was, verse 14 is what I want you to see. Here's the gift of faith in operation. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Now, there's no question that a miracle resulted here, right? Sun stood still for a whole day. Did Joshua work the miracle? Well, I don't see anything that he did. But he said, which is the operation of faith, believe in your heart and say with your mouth. But he said something and received the miracle. So here's, this has got to be the gift of faith in operation. As a result, we could say about the gift of faith, this special faith, that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in First Corinthians, as described in First Corinthians chapter twelve, or listed in First Corinthians chapter twelve. That special faith is when God honors a man's word as His own. Now, again, we have to ask the question: Did Joshua just decide? You know, I don't think this day is long enough. Or is there some purpose? Is there some knowledge that he has? Or is there something that takes place that, it, that inspires or prompts him to do this? I think we have to conclude, yes, something happened. I mean, why wouldn't Joshua make the days longer all of, automatically? Why wouldn't you say, you know, Lord, 12 hours of daylight is just not enough. Let's have 18 from here on. No, it had something to do specifically with this event, didn't it? So something happened. Smith Wigglesworth talked about the gift of faith, one of the uh, special faith in operation regarding uh, the raising of the dead. There was a, a situation where he came home and uh, it was horse and cart days uh, when he was, when this thing occurred. And so he comes home from plumbing. He was a plumber by trade. He came home from a day's work and he found horses and carts all over the street. So he came in and he asked somebody that was in his house, he said, what happened? And, uh, and they said, well, so-and-so that lives two doors down died. He said, that's where your wife is, and that's where all the, the commotions going on and, and that kind of stuff. Well, this was somebody that was in the church. It was somebody that, uh, that he was acquainted with. So he ran down two doors down to where this, uh, this person's house was. And they've got this guy laid out on the dining room table and uh, just stiff as a board, dead as can be. He goes in, and, and, uh, and he was known as a real adventurous type guy with his faith. He wasn't yet in the ministry, but even, even before, he was, uh, he was described as having daredevil faith. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but he was willing to do anything if he had the word on it. 
And so he went in and his wife saw him and she came over and, and people were, were greeting him and trying to describe what happened and give some information and so forth. Well, his wife knew what he was about. She knew what it was like. She knew what he was, what he was liable to do at any moment. And so she went over to him. She said, now, Smith, he's gone. He's with the Lord now. Just let this alone. Now, this had never happened before. He had never done anything like this before, but she just knew what kind of guy he was. So she's, she's putting the brakes on before he even says hello, you know. But he wouldn't hear of it. He went in and grabbed this guy and started praying. And he described it later. He raised this guy from the dead. And he described it later, and he said, I penetrated heaven with my faith, and the answer was no. Now, let's stop and examine that for a minute. What does that mean? I penetrated heaven with my faith. Faith is always based on the knowledge of God or God's will. Faith begins where the will of God is known. What kind of faith do we have to raise the dead? Do we have a scripture for it? It's not part of the Great Commission. It's not part of laying hands on the sick. You can find one group where Jesus told to go and raise the dead. But he didn't include that to the, to, with the apostles or the church instruction as far as what we're commissioned to do in the earth. Do we have an ironclad scripture that says you can raise the dead? No, we don't. We know God does raise the dead. We have examples of it. There are historical examples and there are modern day examples. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he doesn't do it. What I'm saying is if it's going to happen, it's going to take something more than just some scripture, some obscure scripture that we say, well, this belongs to us. Because you can't find a scripture in the Bible that says you can raise the dead. If we had scriptures like that, who would ever die? I don't know about you, but if I had a scripture that said I could raise everybody that dies, I'd make sure everybody in my church stayed alive. At least the givers. Well, we don't have that. I know some people want to say that we do, but we don't. And I think that's where some people get in trouble. They try to use their faith and go out beyond what the word says. So Wigglesworth says, I penetrated heaven with my faith. Now, he was knowledgeable in the word. He knew what belonged to him and what didn't. So I interpret that statement to mean he's praying God I want to do something about this. And the answer was no. But then he said this. Here's the second part of his statement. He said, but then there came down a faith from heaven upon me. There came from heaven a faith down upon me that wouldn't take no for an answer. That's got to be special faith. That's got to be a faith that's given by the Holy Ghost. And as a result, he raised this guy from the dead, picked him up, stood him up against the wall, and commanded him to live. First two times it happened, he slid down into the floor. Which I would suggest would be the stopping point for most people. <laughs> Not him. Why? Well, we, we can say that it was because of his personality. We can, we can claim that it was because he had daredevil, daredevil faith. We could say all kinds of things. But the reality is because there was a faith that came down upon him from heaven, given to him by the Holy Ghost, that would not take no for an answer. Someone else described the gift of faith this way. You know what's going to happen before it occurs. 
when the gift of faith is in operation, you know what's going to happen before it happens. Well, this had to be the case with him. He picked him up the third time, commanded him to live, and he did. Now, the gift of faith can operate in other ways, in other areas too. We, you know, um, we had a situation. Uh, let's see, I, I'm not sure she's here. Well, anyway, a couple of weeks ago, there was a situation where uh, um, concerning her daughter, lady in our church, hadn't been in our church for a real long time. But when she and her daughter first started coming to the church, the daughter was uh, um, got hooked up on drugs and uh, uh, wanted to be free. And so she came up after her service one night and laid hands on her. I don't remember if it was healing line or just individually. But we laid hands on her and... and uh, Prayed for her to be delivered. And I, I don't. Uh, it'd be nice if you could put all this stuff in a box. And say here's how it always works. But anytime the Holy Ghost is involved. It's very seldom here's an always. You know one size fits all type thing. And, but this has happened several times. A handful of times maybe. In, uh, in the years that I've been pastoring a church. When somebody is hooked on something. That's. Uh, now I haven't been able to make it work with smoking. But I have been able to make it work with alcoholism and I have been able to make it work with drugs when, when, it's, when it's real heavy-duty type stuff. When they come to be delivered or come to be prayed for, whatever word you want to put on it, there's a special faith that, that I've experienced on occasion, maybe a handful of times, where I'll tell them, you won't have any problems with withdrawals. There have been a number of times, well, a handful of times. I don't want to give the wrong impression on it. But there have been a handful of times where I've known, as soon as I touched, touched them, as soon as I laid hands on them, as soon as I started to pray for them, I knew that this thing is going to be a supernatural deliverance. Now, that might be something that we would say, wow, that's great. What a wonderful thing. And that, don't misunderstand me, it is wonderful from God's standpoint. But I've never yet had it to occur that those people didn't wind up going back into the, to, to the addiction because it was too easy for them to get off. They took it for granted. They looked at it and they said, wow, all these withdrawals and all this stuff that everybody talks about, how bad it is and everything, no big deal for me. And so they wind up abusing it, if you'll allow me to use that term, abusing the blessing of God and going back in on drugs. And I can't make it work the second time. Well, that's what happened with this girl. Laid hands on her. She was set free. She didn't have any trouble. Easy. Simple. Well, she got back into drugs. And um, this just happened a couple of weeks ago. And the mom went home from church one Sunday morning, saw the daughter at home, knew something was up, didn't know what, exactly what was wrong. And within just a few moments, her daughter was, uh, was dead at home turning blue no pulse called for the paramedics did what they could for before the paramedics got there by the time the paramedics got there the paramedics pronounced her dead well like i said the the family is kind of new in this and so the mom's you know just learning as she goes thank god god doesn't hold you responsible for every mistake you make especially while you're learning 
So the paramedic said, your daughter's dead. She said, you're a liar. Now, I don't recommend that. You know, the word doesn't have anything to do with somebody doing their job, you know. But she said, you're a liar. My daughter's not dead. She commanded her to live, and she came back to life. By the time I got the word, what's funny to me, by the time I got the word about it, she was already at the hospital with her daughter, and she said, the, the urgent message is on my phone. I don't keep my phone with me at, at church. And uh, urgent message is on my phone. Pray, 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 pray. <laughs> and found out the story, and I said, what am I supposed to pray for? You raised her from the dead. You want me to pray? Seriously? You did it. And so ever since then, she's been, she's been applying the word, and her daughter's recovering and, and so forth. So there's some tremendous things that God will do if we'll just act on them. Now, if we were to stop and ask her, ask the mom, were you aware of some kind of special faith? I'd be willing to bet everything I own. She'd say, I didn't know what to do. I was just acting on the word, which is what faith is. Faith on every level is acting on the word. And so I think sometimes we make a mistake when we try to separate this stuff out and say it's this and has to be that and, and so forth. Look at Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. He's been dead four days. This is obviously an operation of special faith. Jesus gets to the tomb and it says on two occasions that he groaned within himself. That's got to be a moving of the Holy Ghost upon him in some way. So what does he do? He commands him to take the stone away from the, the cave and says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out bound hand and foot, which means he's not walking. So how does he come out? Jesus commands them to loose him and let him go. Now, there's three things. There's all of the power gifts in operation here, but we, we just look at it as Jesus raised the dead. It's got to be the gift of faith that brought, his, that brought Lazarus' spirit back to his body. It's got to be working of miracles in operation as well because something has taken place in his body over those four days. Decomposition, embalming, whatever it is that's gone on for those four days, something's got to change that. So that's working of miracles. And then Lazarus died of something. So unless, so even if you did call him back from the dead, even if you did restore his body, if the same sickness that killed him the first time is still present in his body, then he's going to die again immediately. So his spirit came back to his body, his body was restored, and he was healed of whatever sickness killed him to begin with. That's all three. Working of miracles, gifts of faith, or special faith, and gifts of healings in operation. Well, we look at it as, that was just God, right? And I don't want to leave the wrong impression. I don't want it to, uh, to imply that we should take everything apart to such a degree that we get clinical about things. Because what I've found is the people that are most clinical about spiritual manifestations don't have any. The people that know the most about them, as far as here's what this is, here's what that is, here's what the other is, here's how you divide them, here's how you know the difference and stuff like that. They don't have any move of the Holy Spirit in them at all. So I, for one, am not willing to trade knowledge about these manifestations for them working. And I don't believe that's what Paul's trying to get across to the Corinthian church either because they have all these things in operation. He's not trying to stop it. He's just trying to bring order to it. 
He's just trying to bring information to it so they can cooperate and work more effectively with the Holy Ghost. Amen? But God wants to use everybody. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 3. Here's another example. We'll look at a New Testament example and then we'll wrap this up. Here's a New Testament example that's real easy to, uh, well, I started to say misidentify. I'm not sure if that's a good way to say it or not. Some things are hard for me to describe. I have a hard time speaking anyway, but the English language has always been tough for me. I'm a lot better in tongues. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms and Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said look on us and he gave heed unto them expecting to receive something of them then Peter said silver and gold have I none but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was the man that sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Now, it's real easy to take this story and say, we have power and authority in the name of Jesus. And talk about the the unlimited power that's in that name and that would be accurate it'd be true it'd be a good thing to do but then if we if that's as far as we go then let me ask you a question why aren't we raising every cripple that's on the street and see here's where people get here's where people miss it in my opinion you get christians that will say well look at what they did in acts chapter three Peter clearly said, such as I have, give I thee. I've got the name of Jesus, so let's heal the cripple. Let's go down to the grocery store where the guy, the cripple guy is sitting out front there asking uh, for money. Let's get him healed. And so many times people have done things like that, and it doesn't work. And then they come back disillusioned and discouraged, and they said, I don't understand. Why doesn't this work? Well, let me clue you in a little bit on this story. After everybody sees this man that's healed... Verse 11, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John and all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or our own holiness we had made this man to walk? Now, folks, I would submit to you that that's exactly what the modern day church thinks is the reason that Peter and the apostles were able to do this stuff. Because they had some special power we don't have. Or they had some special place as apostles that we don't have now either. And Peter said, what are you looking at us thinking it is our special place or our special power? That's not it. Well, if anybody ought to know, it should be them. I know the modern day church and modern day preachers are big on telling this doesn't happen. 
It won't happen anymore today because the apostles are all dead. They had special place with God because they were apostles. They had a special ministry because they were apostles. They had special power because they were apostles. And Peter said, it's not a special place or a special power. So you believe what you want. But Peter said, that's not it. He's the one that just used the, the power. So I'm inclined to think that he knows more than the modern day preacher. That's just me. Well, what is it then, Peter? Verse 13. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus. Well, God's not finished with that, is he? He's still in the business of glorifying Jesus now, isn't he? Whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and has killed the Prince of Life whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now, here's the answer. Here's the power. Here's the source of the miraculous work, healing work that took place in the man. Verse 16. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Yeah, Pastor Mike, we've got authority in the name of Jesus. We should be able to do this. He's not finished telling you the reason. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. Notice the next thing he says. Yea, the faith which is by him. Notice Peter didn't say it was my faith. And since I did it for this guy, I can do it for every cripple. He said, yea, the faith which is by him. Another translation says the faith which is of him. He may be saying that there was a faith that came down upon him that was greater than his own. He may be saying that the Holy Ghost prompted him to do something here in a supernatural or even a spectacular manner. In other words, he may be saying this was special faith in operation. Which would explain why we can't get the same results every time we see somebody and just want to do it. Because we want to do it. Yea, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, Peter seemed to have the gift of faith or special faith in operation throughout his ministry. There's a couple of different ways you could look at the way that Peter ministered to people. If you look at the way Peter ministered, there are two categories of people that, that you see that the Bible tells that he ministered to effectively over and over and over again. One was cripples. And then the other thing that you see is the gift of faith and operation in his ministry as well. Let me show you. Acts chapter 3 tells us about the man of the beautiful gate. Skip with me over to chapter 5. Notice it says in verse 12, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and of the rest dared no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Doesn't that imply that cripples were healed by Peter's shadow? Give me any, uh, give me any scriptural reference for that. Give me anything, Old Testament or New Testament, where the Bible says... People will be healed by shadow. That's like Jesus spitting on the blind man. He didn't have any Old Testament reference for that. 
that indicates to us that the Holy Ghost will do things in a unique and unusual way from time to time. That indicates to me that we haven't even plumbed the depths of what the Holy Ghost can and will do just because we have a knowledge of what he's done in the past. So here's an implication with people in, in, laid in beds and cots and couches and stuff like that. That says to me that he's operating primarily or at least to some degree in a major degree perhaps with people that are crippled. If they have to be laid there, that means they're not getting there on their own, right? So we could say one of two things. Either Peter is operating by the gift of faith, special faith which is causing these unusual things to happen, or maybe he has a gift of healing where cripples are concerned. Which is it? I don't know. Might be a combination of both. Turn to chapter 9. Verse 32. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. That means he was crippled. Kept his bed eight years means he was crippled crippled from or by palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. This phrase, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, is exactly the Greek phrase that is used in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. In other words, Peter wrote the same thing to you that he said to Aeneas. By his stripes you were healed. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. What is this? Is it possible that it's the gift of faith. Or special faith in operation? Or is it possible that there's a gift of healing. Where cripples are concerned in operation? I could say yes to both. I could argue conclusively yes to both ways. Now, why in the world would the Holy Ghost leave us in this condition? Again, for me, and maybe this is just because of my makeup. Folks, you've got to realize, I'll study something until it's long past dead. I mean that sincerely. I've had the Holy Ghost speak things to me. Give me instruction about what to teach in the church and so forth. And man, when he speaks it to me, brings it to my thought life or whatever, however you want to describe it, there's such life, there's such power with it. Well, give me three or four hours with books. I'll kill it in a heartbeat. I'll study it out to where whatever life there was to begin with. No, it's just all knowledge now. And so many times I've had to shut the books and throw away the notes that I spent the time on and say, wait a minute, Lord, say that to me again. Go back to the original where it was life, where it was something that brought blessing, and then scrap the notes, scrap the the study and all the other thing, and go back to where it was full of life. I think you can do that. I know you can do that with manifestations of the Holy Ghost. So I don't think God wants us to be so technical with it that we miss the power of the Spirit. Because Jesus said, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive power. He didn't say after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you'll know everything. He said you'll receive power. Now, let's don't leave Peter here. Let's go a little bit further. Um, Where did we stop? 
verse 34. The result was all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In other words, the power of the Holy Ghost demonstrated in verse 34 brought about the precious fruit of the earth in that city or those two cities. Verse 36. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. And when they had washed, whom that when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydda was nigh or near to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him to the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. This has got to be the gift of faith in operation or special faith in operation. Maybe other things too. But it's got to be special faith in operation. So from this, we see that once again, here's a demonstration of the power of God that causes many people to turn to the Lord. It brings about the precious fruit of the earth. Now, folks, as far as I'm concerned, that's the example for us to follow. God wants to do powerful things. That's not all he wants to do. He wants to bring revelation. He also wants to speak, but he wants to demonstrate power to bring about the precious fruit of the earth, to bring people into the kingdom of God. Why would God have changed his plan and changed his pattern? Because we got smart? Because now we've developed a society that's really sharp. Why would he have ever changed his plan? Folks, God never changes anything. Which means he wants to do the same thing now as we see him doing back then. That's the example for me. That's the, that's the reason why these things are listed in the scripture as far as I'm concerned. So that we can know and believe. For the power of God to bring people into the kingdom of God. So it seems to me that the gift of faith is something that's operating freely in Peter. Throughout his ministry. Maybe other things too. But certainly the gift of faith is an operation. In other words, it's just like Paul said, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. This seems to be an area of manifestation of the Holy Spirit, a manifestation of power that God has delivered to operate in Peter's life and in his ministry as the Holy Spirit wills. It still doesn't mean that Peter's got the gift and can use it whenever he wants it. Nobody has a gift of the Holy Spirit like that. But it certainly does seem to operate from time to time, doesn't it? Well, why wouldn't God do that today? Let me give you one final story and we'll close with this. Smith Wigglesworth was somebody that was used in special faith to, uh, to well, in my estimation, to a great degree. First time he ever came to America, he was uh, very well known in, uh, in England. But the people in the States had heard stories about him, but that was it. They hadn't experienced it in uh, his ministry or anything. And, and in those days, people traveled across the ocean by boats. There was no planes or anything like that. So 
it was, uh, uh, things were very limited in, in people's knowledge and experience. But Wigglesworth came to America and uh, came to California. Wound up uh, being invited. The reason he came to America was because he was invited by two uh, ministers that were holding a um, revival, crusade, some type of special meeting in the Bay Area, up in the San Francisco area. He got here. They had him scheduled to come and speak as a, a keynote speaker for something, one of the early services in the, the week-long meetings or whatever it was. And they recognized the Spirit of God on him and the anointing that was on him, so they just asked him to stay and take over the whole thing. be hard for preachers to do that nowadays, wouldn't it? What preachers are going to give up their preaching blood? But anyway, they did this. And so Wigglesworth uh, ministered. And the first night he was there, there was a guy that was uh, a blind man that was led by a little boy into the service. So at the end of the service, he was laying hands on the sick. This little boy brought the blind man up. Wigglesworth laid hands on him, commanded him to be healed. Took a little bit extra time. There was a little different manner that he prayed for this guy and ministered to this guy than uh, some of the other people in the line. But he didn't say anything about it, didn't make any special draw any special attention to it or anything like that and um next night as the service began this little boy is bringing in this blind man by the hand again they worked their way up toward as far toward the front as they could find a seat and and uh, worked their way in and while they're finding their seat wigglesworth interrupts the song part the song leading and that kind of stuff he stops he says look 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 everybody look right there see that man with that little boy he was healed from blindness last night. The little boy's leading him around because he can't see a thing. Same thing happens the second night. Look, look, look. See that man right there? He was healed Monday night or whenever it was. Two nights ago, he was healed. He used to be blind, but now he's, not, now he's healed. Well, by the third night when that happens, everybody's looking at Wigglesworth thinking, is this guy off his nut? What is a... What? What's going on here? He's way too far out there. I mean, it's really causing people some, con- some consternation about this. People are whispering all over the place. Well, during Wigglesworth's sermon, during that third night, this man's eyes popped open. And when they did, he let out a shout, jumped up on his seat, and started testifying from where he was. And folks, then they had a meeting. Now, Wigglesworth explained that because, like I said, for three nights, it had caused a lot of problems. It was the talk of the town among other ministers. And other preachers were, were getting together saying, what's he doing? We've heard these stories about this guy. We've heard this guy's raised the dead. But what in the world is he doing? Does he not know that the guy can't see? Does he not know that that little boy is bringing him in because he's still blind? What is he doing? But after the third night, he had to have a meeting with some of the other ministers toward the end of the week, at least, and explain to them what was going on. And he explained to them. He said, I knew when I laid hands on him the first night that he was healed. He said, if this meeting went on for a month and every night during that month that man came in, I would have done exactly the same thing because I knew that I knew that I knew that he was healed. Well, that was a gift of faith in operation. That was special faith in operation. He didn't know what this guy believed. He didn't know how strongly this guy believed. He didn't know if this guy's confessing his healing during the daytime. He didn't know any of that kind of stuff. But he had something from the Lord. 
He had a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. He knew that he knew that he knew it was done. Special faith is when you know the end result before it occurs. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. You said, Father, that we would receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon us. And we would be witnesses unto you, even to the uttermost part of the earth. Father, I thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost that's just as present and just as real and just as prevalent today as it ever was. I thank you, Father, for the revelation of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for utterance in the Spirit of God. And I thank you for the power of God in demonstration to bring about the precious fruit of the earth. Father, as a church, we believe, even as Paul instructed us, we believe for these manifestations. As individuals without faith, we can receive nothing from you. And as a church body without faith, we can receive nothing from you. We're zealous for these things, Father. Not because we're zealous for power. We're not zealous for feelings or tingles or goosebumps. Father, we're zealous for the precious fruit of the earth. Lord, you said in your word to ask you. And you'd give us the heathen for an inheritance. We ask you. Give us the heathen for an inheritance. Give us the unsaved. Cause them to come in, Father. Cause them to see the demonstration of the Spirit and power. Cause these lightnings, this latter rain, this manifestation of the Spirit of God to bring about the precious fruit of the earth. Father, that's our prayer. That's our desire. That's our goal. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Folks, we're coming into a new day. Write it down. Take notice. We're coming into a new day. We're coming into a day of power. We're coming into a day of revelation. We're coming into a day of the lightnings of God. And it'll bring about revelation that will cause people to fall on their face and worship God. Even as the scripture says. Where one was saved, there'll be 50. Where two were filled with the Holy Ghost, it'll be 100. We're coming into a new day. The day of the precious fruit of the earth. We don't intend, and I hope I'm not leaving this impression. I'm just having to trust God with this. Because if you don't emphasize it, people won't expect it. But if you overemphasize it, then people start looking at the wrong thing. So I trust that you'll be mature enough to see the balance. 
We don't want to exalt the manifestation of the Holy Ghost to the degree where they're an end in themselves. Because then we're all about us and what God's doing with us. We want to emphasize the manifestation of the Holy Ghost to the end, to bring about the end result of people coming into the kingdom of God. In other words, we want the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying for the manifestation of the Holy Ghost for the purpose of bringing people into the kingdom of God. So that we rejoice in the result and not in looking what God did with us. Do you understand the difference there? It's a very important difference. It's a very important distinction. Very important. Well, why don't we stand together? Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. We magnify your name. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for all that you've done for us. But, oh, Father, we thank you that our best days are ahead. We thank you that the days ahead are days of glory, days of bright clouds and lightnings and manifestations of the Spirit. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.